Welcome to the Bad Podcast. The podcast about three Asian dudes from the Bay. Who only want one thing. Real, Real talk. talk. Welcome back to the Bad Podcast. Today is episode two, Asian Enough. Today we're going to be exploring what it means to be Asian enough, growing up in the Bay Area and our experiences living in and outside of an Asian bubble. So with that, I'm going to kick it off with our question of the day, which is growing up, did you actually feel like you grew up in an Asian bubble? And if so, what was maybe one positive thing and one negative thing about your experience? Before you get into it, just to clarify for anyone listening, an Asian bubble really is just when you are living in an area that is like majority Asian. Uh, and so therefore, you know, the people you're around, the people you're surrounded by, even your friends tend to be majority Asian. So that's really what we mean by an Asian bubble. So with that in mind, what's one positive thing? What's negative thing? And do you feel like you lived in an Asian bubble? I felt like I grew up in, in the beginning, first part of my life in an Asian bubble. But then, you know, when I moved off to college, I was surrounded by like white people. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, um, which was cool. I would say that one of the biggest positives is, you know, just being able to like connect with people. Like, because like, you know, when I went off to college, I, w- I went to go visit one of my friend's house in like Castro Valley. Hmm. And I got to his house and I was about to take off my shoes. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I'm just, I'm just taking off my shoes. And he's like, nah, man, you just walk in the house. And I was like, all right, man. It, and I was like <laughs> walking on like carpet. It was like so weird. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, like in terms of that, like it was, it was a positive experience for both sides. I, w- I would say that there's no real big negative, but, but I think it's just recognizing what the drawbacks were. Right. Like for me, the positive was, you know, being able to connect, um, you know, just with other people that were Asian, but leaving when I went to college, being in like a more white environment, it was really different. It just taught me a lot and just really gave me like a lot of perspective. So, I mean, to be honest, I don't really have a negative minus the fact that like then your surroundings are just that initial bubble, but being able to like learn from it was pretty eye opening, to be honest. Right. right, right. Yeah. When I first heard this, um, when I first heard this question, my immediate thought was no, I don't think I really grew up in an Asian bubble. But you grew up because in the sunset, from... though. <laughs> Come on, well, man. Sunset District, from, San Francisco. From elementary school to high school, I definitely made friends with non-Asian individuals. Though I didn't bond as tightly with those friends as I did with my good friends who were Asian, we were still like very friendly. And like some of the best memories I have of high school and middle school were, were with some of my non-Asian friends. But here's the thing that I came to realize. I think that in relation to some other part of the country where I perhaps could have grown up, I would say that I definitely grew up in an Asian bubble, right? Mm-hmm. Although Asians are a minority in the Bay Area, I looked it up earlier today, the number historically has been around the 30% range right it never felt that way to my experience growing up and i think Mm -hmm. that in itself is evidence that i probably definitely grew up in asian bubble right so i guess it's one of those things where it's like to double down on one of the points you made would you say that being asian was never something that you were i wouldn't say like ashamed of but like something that you were like acutely aware of or felt different of you know what i mean like that didn't come into question no definitely i don't think it ever really came into question like that i mean perhaps enough you know, like I said, I had a lot of friends that were not Asian of Hispanic, white, black um, in the in the schools that I went to. So, you know, of course, race came up like, hey, you're Chinese, like you're not Chinese or right, like, no, right. I'm white or whatever, <laughs> but not not enough to feel not enough for me to feel marginalized in any way, just right. because so many other Asians at my school. I feel like for me, because all the schools that I went to were predominantly Asian, I can't remember what you just said, but that, that was something that like never really crossed my mind in right. the past. 
was being feeling like the odd one out or yeah you know because i was i was literally a majority except when i went to college so you know what's interesting about this is that for for me so i, I i'm the opposite right even though i grew up in the bay area i grew up in the north bay and for me i was definitely the minority the high school i went to i believe out of my class of 400 there were something like 10 asians maybe 15 um which is quite the opposite of what you guys grew up around and i think what's interesting about this is that you know, I'm, I'm the one who obviously came up with this episode, but I find that people who grow up in areas that have maybe not majority Asian, but at least like close to majority uh, or, or at least a good amount, don't ever question that, right? Don't feel like, oh, am I in a bubble or am I not? Because there's like, they just feel comfortable where they're at. Whereas I feel like people like myself who are acutely aware of being the minority, you know, definitely know they're not in an Asian bubble. It's interesting, right? So it's like, it's, it's, you're either in one, you don't know it, or you're out of it and you definitely know it. For me, in terms of like one positive thing and negative thing, you know, positive thing, at least for me, in retrospect, at least, is that it forced me to make friends with people outside of my own uh, background, right? I mean, I had friends who were white, uh, Latinx, and I think that that forced me to really just see multiple different perspectives. And that was really positive for me, but also, you know, growing up and going into the working world, that it wasn't just like a singular point of view. Um, definitely the negative being, you know, having to face, I would say racist comments, right? Racist comments or dealing with some racism. And, and also I think the, uh, the harder thing too, is just not being able to connect with my culture or people who are like-minded as well. And so struggling with that, I think, at, especially at that young age was tough. Like I never had, I didn't have Boba until I was 18. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, for anyone who grew up in the city, they're like, how, how is that possible? <laughs> I didn't have until I was 17. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. But I will say, I think being exposed to that kind of ignorance early is perhaps better for your development later down the line right i would agree with that if that happened to you like in your complete mature phase you'd be like whoa like you know where did that come from you can't talk to people like that kind of thing right but when you you know you you grow up with it you kind of see people for who they are right and then and you kind of not exactly live with it later on but you know how you know how to live with it yeah you like learn to adapt right exactly yeah for sure and, and, you know, I think that this is a perfect parlay into the, the next question I have, which is where the whole episode that we were talking about today is being, you know, quote unquote, Asian enough. And we'll kind of dig into that a little bit later. But before we dig into feeling maybe not Asian enough, what is something from your heritage that you really connect with or really resonate with? And why? Like was something that you're maybe really proud of or something that you really uh, connect with? One thing about my heritage that I really vibe with is taking off your dusty ass shoes before you <laughs> I don't care if you got Yeezys. I don't care if you got Off-Whites. Them things stand in the shoe rack at the door until it's time to go. <laughs> but okay, I guess taking off your shoes before you come into the house is actually considered like an Eastern thing. It's not really specifically a Chinese thing. So Fair. if I had to pick like a Chinese thing specifically, I would actually pick um, going out to eat dim sum. And I think, what? no, for real, like dim sum, <laughs> I think it is like, oh, I guess it's like kind of a basic answer too. But I think I like it so much because it's so much less formal than a sit down dinner. Mm. You go with the expectation that it's not going to take all afternoon or all night, but it's long enough that you get to catch up with everybody at the table. And frankly, I like that you get to try more dishes than you would get at like a dinner. And you can pretty much always request your favorite thing unless everybody else at the table hates it. So it's like, when I thought about it, it's like, yeah, dim sum is like, oh, like obviously Chinese people eat dim sum. Oh, what's so weird great about that kind of thing. But like when I really thought about the reason why I love to go eat dim sum, like with our friends kind of thing, I, I would say that's it. That's funny. Actually, and are you, are you the guy who orders durian puffs and like pisses off the whole table? <laughs> I don't order it, but I will definitely. I like durian. 
I knew it. I knew you guys were doing it. I mean, look, I like it too, but it definitely like when you when it comes, you, you just half the table is like scrunches their nose, and the other half is real excited. So you, you can always figure out who's who. You know what's hella crazy though? I, uh, I don't know when it switched over, but I think that dim sum was or like yum cha was yeah. always was, was supposed to be about the tea and having right. like little snacks, and then now it's all about like massive meals. Which I would say like the best part is ordering like nice tea and. I, I don't know if you guys have ever done that. All right, traditionalist. Which all right, all right what's your what's your dim sum go to tea? Chrys- chrysanthemum. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> chrysanthemum. I don't even know how to even say it in Chinese. <laughs> you just, so wait, how do you order it? Then you can't. You can barely say it in English, dude. <laughs> chrysanthemum, and they're just like. There you go. There ah. you go. I mean, so actually, yeah, and then I guess my tea would be oolong. What about you, Yan? What do you order at dim sum? Uh, can't remember. Is it? Is jasmine an option? Jasmine is the basic option. The basic, the basic bitches of tea options. <laughs> it's the it's funny because that's like it's when you mentioned like, oh yeah, like yum cha is supposed to be like more about tea than it is about like the food kind of thing. But like as a kid, I was like, tea is tea. Like just give me a Coca-Cola and I'll be good kind of thing. <laughs> the rest of the food. But now that I'm older and I can appreciate different teas, I'm like, oh, like, yeah, let's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new, um, I mean, I'm 30, so it's not that new, but it's like a new appreciation feel. Yeah. New field of appreciation. Yeah. Fair you guys enough. should look into, oh man, I can't even pronounce this either. Oh God. It's called like poor tea. A poor it's tea. Like, it's like cave tea. It's oh, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's like yeah, black yeah. cave tea. <laughs> what about yeah, you, Doug? What do you what do you connect with? Uh, I would in similar experience. I, I think food. I feel like I don't know. I just like food in general. But the one thing I would add though is that food is something that everybody enjoys. I mean, I guess some people don't enjoy it, but you don't need to speak the lang- language to enjoy the food. Yeah. But even some of that, like some of that, really hit me when you was saying it was something that that I really vibe with is like my Chinese name, man. Your Chinese name. <laughs> yeah oh yeah tell us about um, that dude that's what's up yeah so like my chinese name is like fa tai Lung, right kind of means like flower tie dragon something like that but Sick. yeah when i was in high school my teacher made us do- dissect our names and i decided to dissect my chinese name it was, was kind of cool learning about like why my parents chose everything obviously fa flower that's just uh, my last name which means i'm related to mulan <laughs> It's not impossible. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> but then, yeah, and then the the Thai part was because like my grandpa in Thailand wanted to make sure to remind me that I was Thai. And then I don't actually I don't remember why they chose dragon, but I liked it as a, as a little kid. I was like, that's cool. That's rad, dude. That's amazing. And I I, I, lo- I love that. I love that you love your your Chinese name and really vibe with it. I know that not everyone it's, does. It's better than Douglas. No, I'm just kidding. I actually, <laughs> I actually like my name too. Douglas is Douglas is the best. I don't know. You know, I don't know any other Douglases. I will say this. I know. I know a good amount. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that, that actually, I think that's really dope that you vibe with your name. I I struggled with my name for a long time. Uh, I would say, and just not as a side tangent, but I struggled with my name for a long time because most Asian names is always three syllables, right? And to my understanding, how it at least breaks down in Korean culture, probably similar in, in Chinese culture, at least, is that it's uh, your your family name first, right? So your fa- or your last name. Uh, and then usually it's like a generational name and then you're like unique identifier name. I'm getting off the point. The point is I only had two syllables. And for me, I was, I always felt like that made me feel different and it didn't feel really Korean. And I think that was almost like foreshadowing to how I'd feel like the rest of my life. I'm not gonna get into that whole, whole story, but I think that's the idea that I was like, didn't necessarily resonate with my name. Did you ever ask your parents why? Yeah, I did. I, I, and it's because my dad has a similar sort of name. He only has two syllables also. There's a term for it in Korean. Uh, it, it's a uh, weja. It basically just means you have like one syllable for a first name instead of two. 
Um, and my dad had that kind of name back in the 1930s. And so it was very unique uh, and uncommon then. And he liked that it was uncommon and unique and it made him different. And he, so he wanted to have his sons to be the same. So my brother and I both did the same way. Yeah, cool. I don't know. It's interesting. And we, I think my, my brother and I both struggled with it. But in terms of something that I really connect or resonate or vibe with is I would say... <laughs> as typical as it is is the drinking culture in Korea. It can go overboard and it can be pretty toxic, but there's everything to me in Korean culture distills down to the drinking culture. I know that sounds really intense, but I'll explain what I mean. There's every- alcoholics. Yeah, I know. Well, that's true. Um, but in Korean culture, at least there's, there's even a drinking culture, there's like signs of respect, right? You either, you pour with two hands, you receive with two hands. There's also certain rules where like, you know, if you're like the youngest, you like look away from the table and things like that, which I know to some people may seem really extreme, but to me, it's always been an interesting culture of like, just again, showing respect, even when you're drinking alcohol on top of that too. There's a, there's a crazy amount of drinking games in Korea and like you put and you drink with your friends. And that's something that I feel like has always been really cool in terms of like playing fun games with your friends. That's something I think we can all resonate with. There's also, I like the drinking games. For sure. There's also, <laughs> there's, there's also coworker, there's also coworker uh, drinking customs as well, where it's like, you just bond over, you know, kind of being in the trenches that work together. And I think this is like everything you can find in Korean culture, whether it comes to respect, socializing, getting to know your coworkers, making friends, it all is around that bottle. So for me, I, I, I just, I love all of that kind of bottled up in, in one place. It's like think? a friend that's always there for you. Exactly. <laughs> the sounds, now now I really sounds like <laughs> Do you think do you think those traditions will fade away or like maybe not like the drinking games, but like, let's say the more family ones, let's say you're drinking with, with your two kids. Hands and, and would you make them pour with two hands? Absolutely. Or just like, just really? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I think I know there are, I know there are varying opinions on this, but in, in my personal experience, I find Koreans to be ones that really hold on tradition onto tradition really tightly. I don't know why that is or how that came to be. I'm sure there are other things at play. Like for example, you know, they weren't an independent country until the 1950s after the Korean war. So like, it's, it's still fairly new. Like it's been less than a hundred years that they've had their independence. So maybe things like that are in play in terms of trying to hold on to their culture. Um, but for whatever reason, yeah, I would also want my kids to like learn how to pour with two hands, learn that culture. I would make them call me Oppa. Appa in, in, you know, oh. or, or Abaji in, in Korean uh, as a sign of respect. So I, I don't know. I would, it's just definitely stuff that I would want. Yeah. Cause I was actually thinking about that. I feel like as generations progress, right. it's like some cultures or traditions kind of like fade. Right. And this is, I was thinking about this during like Chinese New Year's because I was like, who's going to make Chinese New Year's <laughs> dinner? Right. And it's like, right. and I was just like, oh, I guess, you know, I guess I'll try to learn how to make it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's like pretty simple. But yeah, I was just thinking, it was like, what happened? Like, you know, I obviously don't know all the superstitions. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I know like, don't shower, clean your room, yada, yeah. yada, yada. Yeah. But it's like, will generations keep holding it on or will it eventually like fade? Even my mom was like, yeah, she doesn't follow all the traditions. And so yeah. some of them she does, just the thought. That kind of came across like during Chinese New Year's, Lunar New Year. For me, I think that certain traditions will probably fade over time. But I think one of the things that's great about having a community of people who celebrate similar sorts of holidays is that you get to kind of take in it together and, and share notes and, and do it together. So the way that I envision this also is that like, yes, Chinese New Year is definitely something that you celebrate with your family. But to me, my family is not just my blood relatives, but also my friends like you guys. And so in the future, I'd love to celebrate Chinese New Year with all of you guys together, with all of our families, right? I mean, I think that's something that helps keep some of the tradition alive. Because I think one of the things that I remember a lot as a kid is exactly that, like during the holidays of just like having family and friends around and just like everyone 
celebrating in it together and like, you know, sharing notes. I like there, I learned things about the holidays, not necessarily from my parents, but also just from like aunties and uncles or, or friends our family friends of just like, would, I would, they would teach me more and more over the years. So I think it's not necessarily that traditions will fade, but I think the important parts will stay. Traditions might fade, but Wu-Tang is forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry. I just, something that came across my head. I think it's a matter of where, where the family's heart is at, right? Like even non-cultural customs or traditions, like knowing which fork to use for salad and which fork to use for, for steak knives or even how to like cut your steak kind of thing properly without looking like, you know, a heathen Savage. at the dinner table kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Like if the family doesn't really care about just kind of like maintaining, you know, mm -hmm. a certain level of like, Hey, this is like how we live our life and traditions will fade. And then, and then, you know, taking that a step further, you know, if there's kind of like anyone in a family, you know, I'm going to just namely say like children that feel more distant from their parents or whatever else. That's, that's how traditions fade as well. Right. Cause when right. they carry on, they're going to say, well, you know, I, I'm not, I, I'm not my parents. I'm not going to do the same things that they did. I want to live my life my way kind of thing. And so I think as generations go on, it, it's really going to depend on is tight knit, tight knit ship yeah. <laughs> a word, yeah. Yeah. but the tight knit ship of, of that family. Right. And right. I feel like if they are close, you know, they, they have those cultural customs to bond over like, Hey, you know, like when my mom um, was making dinner for me, you know, she told me like Hans said, pour, you know, pour the, the soju with, with two hands kind of thing. And now yeah. I'm teaching you. Right. But right. like if, if mom and, and, and son, like can barely talk to each other, can't even stand each other, be in right. the same room. Like why would they ever even have that to talk about? Right. Oh, that's a good point. No, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. It's always going to depend. Yeah. It's actually a, a perfect segue actually into the second question, which is we've talked a little bit about, you know, things that we really connect with and, and also just like how these traditions may fade over time. But I think we've already started to see some of them fade with, even with us. I think all of us are different generations in terms of in terms of when our family has come to the U.S. and, and our experiences growing up. So I guess with that in mind, have you ever felt like you weren't Asian enough? You know, kind of bringing it back to the original topic at hand, which is feeling Asian enough. Have you ever felt like you weren't Asian enough or you're not really Asian like if you don't do something or haven't experienced something, have you ever been told you're not really Asian? For me, yeah, absolutely. Um, growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood, for me already kind of limited my exposure to Asian people, Asian customs, Asian restaurants even. And so there are certain things that I just didn't experience, but also just the way that I was raised and, and grew up. My dad came from a previous marriage. Uh, and so he had kind of assimilated a lot to American culture. So. I'll, I'll just give one small example. They didn't beat me when I was a kid. Like, I wasn't spanked. I wasn't hit uh, when I was a kid, uh, even when I was bad, uh, which I wasn't that bad, but still. And I think that one of the common, very common similarities amongst immigrant children is that they get, they got, you know, hit when they were kids, right? I did. Uh, yeah, there you go. But I remember telling people when I got to college, when I first met some Asian people, I was like, we were just talking about that kind of stuff. I forget how it came up. But I said, oh, my parents never hit me. And there's like, oh, you white, you white kid. Like, of course you weren't like, if you, you weren't hit, then you're definitely white. Like you're not Asian. Like that's, that's part of being Asian growing up. And it was weird because it was used against me almost in a way like, oh, you weren't beat as a kid. Therefore you're not Asian. I, I understand that it's a, it's a very common Asian experience, but it being used against me as some way to invalidate my own heritage or where I came from was definitely a shitty experience. Did you feel like you were the most Asian person and then going to college and being the least Asian person? Exactly. Yeah. You hit it right in the head. When I was in, in, wow. in high school, they were like, oh, you're super Asian, dude. Like you eat food with chopsticks. You take your shoes off at the house. Like you eat rice every day. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and like, oh, you like anime, anime being like Dragon Ball Z. So it was barely anime. You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe you, you Hakusho, 
Um, but <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like the most Asian kid ever. Like, oh, you celebrate Lunar New Year? That's so weird. Like, you know what I mean? And then I got to college and they're like, yo, you're super white. <laughs> so it was, it's, it's a weird flip-flop, right? I think it just depends on, on your situation where you're at. Yeah, I, at least for me, I, I've never really felt that until later in life because I guess growing up in, in an Asian bubble, you know, I'm surrounded by it. So obviously I feel like, you know, I'm Asian. But as I kind of got older and then obviously I never learned Chinese, um, you know, and then people just like, oh, you don't speak Chinese? You know, you know that's when it started kind of, starting to really hit me of me not being Asian. But you know, now that I've just kind of come to terms with it, that I'll just never learn. Now you can always learn. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little tone deaf. It's definitely too hard. So I, I mean, I'll always have like a little bit of that, I guess, duality. I don't know if that's the right word. Mm-hmm. But like where, you know, I, I do try to embrace it and try to learn more about being Asian. But then at the same time, it's like, I, I will always feel like there's that divide of just me not truly, truly understanding. The force is pretty strong with me when it comes to this question. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty frequently told that I'm not very Asian or that I'm basically white, <laughs> mainly because of my limited core knowledge of my culture. Both of my parents are 100% Chinese, but I pretty much grew up in an American household. Even my grandparents on both sides who are also 100% Chinese can speak English very well. So it's very easy to imagine that my upbringing was more on the American side or Americanized side. It's not a bad thing. Like I really loved my childhood, thousand million percent. But I will say that's where that's where the lack of my Chinese tradition comes from. So when I say like limited core knowledge of my culture, I mean like while I can speak a little bit of Chinese, it's not enough to carry a conversation. Or while I know a few customs about like weddings or babies or funerals or New Year's, I wouldn't say that I know like a lot of customs. It's these shortcomings that cast a light on me that people perceive to be not very Asian. And so it's it's kind of weird, but it's like, because I don't know a lot, it makes me not Asian. What, what's your reaction to that? Because I think that there are two ways to go about it. And I've definitely had one, I've, I've definitely experienced both. Whenever I'm told that like, oh, you're not Asian because you don't understand your heritage enough or whatever in, in that sense, does it make you want to seek it out more or does it make you want to reject it even more? I would say that it makes me want to seek it out more. I'm not like afraid or ashamed of my culture in the least kind of thing. It is who I am and it runs through my blood. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, no, I'm, I, I wouldn't say like I'm afraid of it at all or I, yeah, I'm, I'm always interested to learn more about my heritage and my culture, but finding the avenues to do that has its challenges. I mean, I guess you could go ahead and Google search, just like, what are some Chinese traditions? But can you really trust what you find out? <laughs> you know, if like, if your grandpa's grandpa's grandpa didn't do it for your dad's dad's dad, then how do you really know if it was, you know? So, right. um, you know, find, finding those finding those channels has its challenges. The reason I asked that question is that I've, I've definitely flip-flopped in my life many times, depending on the, re- and the response, where in certain cases I've been like, well, if I'm not Asian enough, then fuck it. Like, I don't want to be Asian then. Or, you know, and push almost push away from it. And then also the vice versa. It's like, oh, you don't understand this? You should. And then, you know, I want to seek it out and understand understand it more. So, um, like, for example, like food, like we've talked about this a lot, but food is something I think we all connect with. I've wanted to learn more about, like, how to cook more Korean food just because it's something that I love and, and I want to learn how to make. And there are certain dishes that I grew up with that I want to learn and also ones that I've I've I didn't eat growing up because my mom didn't either make it or, you know, we just never had it very often. I want to learn how to make. So 
I think it really just depends on the situation. I've tried to have the emotional maturity, if you will, to recognize when I don't understand it, something, realize I don't understand it, accept it and move on and either learn it or, or just accept it, one of the two. So I think it's something that I'm, I'm definitely trying to work on. I mean, personally, my personal belief is that what you just described is very hard for our generation, who is yeah. not, I wouldn't say obsessed, but very close to being obsessed with like instant gratification. And if it's mm -hmm. like, if I don't get it on the first try, then I'm going to give up and I'm right. not going to go for it kind of thing. But it's like, yeah, you know, stay in there, keep practicing. Yeah. Whether it's language, whether it's cooking a dish, I think it's exactly. just, it, everything takes practice for sure. Do you guys actually trust like the top Google, if you were to look up like Chinese or Korean tradition, would you absolutely trust whatever? Nah, because <laughs> absolutely not. Which <laughs> is why yep. I mentioned earlier, like finding the avenues to learn is like I, I really want someone who I want someone who has like a very strong foundation in kind of like having that cultural background. I don't know. This is where it came from. Like, this is why we do things, not just like here's the answer. Right? Yeah, because I don't I don't believe in it, but I think it's like super interesting. So I read like the the Chinese horoscope for like 2021. Mm -hmm. But it got to some point it was like, your lucky numbers for this year is this. <laughs> and then I went to the second link I was under it. And like, it was like, your lucky numbers are something that was completely different. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, whoever's SEO is better is just, I don't know, man. But I, I, I do agree with you on that. It was like, it could give you maybe like a somewhat of a foundation or baseline. But yeah, I think going out and finding someone to like learn it from probably be the best way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how things used to be, right? You used to pass down knowledge through stories and right, through, exactly. through, through word of mouth. Um, and it wasn't on your Google search. And I think those are also more <laughs> meaningful. And I feel like those are also ones you remember. Yeah. Like you can look, so, look up stuff, be like, okay, cool. Like I remember it now. And then like, as soon as you look away from it and scroll on Instagram, you completely forget what you read. Right. <laughs> but I feel like when like your cousin, your friend, your aunt, aunt your mom tells you a story about like why we do these things this way, it's just much more impactful. Yeah. More importantly, when you get punished for doing it wrong, <laughs> you know, it's like, take off your dang shoes in the house. You're going to remember. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think that's perfect because that brings us to our bad break. Twinkie and banana are terms that are commonly used as ways to describe Asians who don't, quote, act Asian, right? They're white on the inside, yellow on the outside. But funny enough, when Twinkies were first invented in 1930 by, by James Alexander Dewar in Illinois, he actually used banana cream to fill the pastries. It wasn't until World War II when bananas were rationed that the company switched to using vanilla cream. So yeah, so Twinkies. I guess the original Twinkies also had bananas. So it was a banana within a Twinkie. Are we Twinkies? So it's then, like wait. they did everything to make it a banana except make it look like a banana. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So then that's confusing. So are you white on, are you yellow on the outside, white on the inside? That's masking as someone who's yellow on the outside. Why don't, well, that's like too deep, much. Deep down, <laughs> you're created. <laughs> it's too much, but yeah, bananas and Twinkies. So thanks guys for sharing all your personal stories about being Asian and being feeling Asian enough. But I did want to talk about the community in the Bay Area. I wanted to ask you guys what you think of the community in the Bay Area, especially the Asian community, and what what things do you do to feel connected to or contribute to the, to the Asian community here in the San Francisco Bay Area? You know, when you kind of ask that question, I really thought about it for like a while, and I literally could not come up with anything in terms of like what I do. I mean, it, maybe it was a wake-up call, right? You know, it was one of those things where like when I was younger, I would do a lot of volunteer work, but I don't know if that would contribute to anything, but now... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, minus the job that I do, which services the Bay Area community. But other than that, 
I actually have no idea what I do to contribute. I would say one of the one of the things that I always envied about um, one of your community involvements was your dragon boat. Like even if you perhaps don't see it as like a community outreach, like you were with you were with members of like the community kind of thing, and you guys work together to like make yourself stronger, compete, stuff like that. You know, and I would strongly say that that is part of community outreach. But I don't really do it now. But I, I mean, I, I see your point. Like it is actually a really cool community to, to be a part of. When I was a part of it, granted, like the team that I was in during college was just people just want to party. But outside of that, everything is just volunteer. Now that I think about it, you are right because it is everything is volunteer based. Like all the like workers that are set up all the all the races mm-hmm. are all volunteers. All the coaches, all volunteers. She get back yeah, into it. you know I could. I was, about, I was actually thinking about joining like a like rec league kind of one, where it's oh, nice. not competitive elderly people. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, for me, when when I heard this question, I thought I would kind of be blunt about where my head is at, and I, I kind of had a very similar like first reaction to Doug was like, I don't really feel like I do a whole lot, but man, when I thought about it, when it comes right down to the bottom of it, my answer is how I spend my money, you know, because like my voice isn't like very loud or popular. So contributing to a movement in that regard feels pretty minuscule mm. all the time. <laughs> um, but you know, Wu-Tang Clan said, cash will be <laughs> around me. This <laughs> <laughs> is like a theme here. <laughs> Actually, that is a good point though yeah so you know i try and spend my money at at asian owned restaurants i do try and do some grocery shopping at asian markets obviously not like exclusively you know what i mean i have to go to safeway sometimes but (laughs) but you know i try i need to get a nice steak sometimes (laughs) i gotta get some good stuff no just kidding um but yeah specifically you know i thought about it even more over the course of the day and in the bay area specifically you know there's there's actually a lot of asian-led events that happen around the year like japantown's cherry blossom festival Mm -hmm. or the Chinese New Year's festivities in Chinatown or the Abone Festival in um, in Oakland. And personally, like making monetary contributions or purchases at, at any of those venues um, that I've mentioned feels like way more of a contribution than anything I could do on social media. Obviously, there's like a trillion more ways that, that you can <laughs> be there for the Asian more community. I'm, I'm not just saying it's like social media and money. You know, I'm, I'm not here to say that, but admittedly, you know, in, in, in a very similar fashion to Doug, admittedly, I'm here saying that, yeah, I don't really know where to start other than like how to spend my money and share things like Asian content creators or, or Asian stories like on my social media. Yeah, no, look, and I think that this this question was, it was not meant to guilt trip you guys in, in any way. And by right. the way, I don't I don't have a great answer for it either. And I don't do a lot either. I think I really appreciate your perspective, Yim, in terms of where you spend your money. That is a big one for sure. Cause at the end of the day, if you're supporting small businesses, especially Asian owned businesses, especially during now, right. During, during the pandemic of just like Asian businesses getting hit even harder, you know, we, we've seen acts of racism against Asian, Asian businesses and stuff like that too. So I think anywhere, anytime you can support those restaurants and, and spend your money there, that's always going to be a help. I know that one of our friends owns uh, a flood restaurant in, in San Francisco. And, you know, I remember she breaking it down in terms of saying, you know, if you order from places like DoorDash or stuff like that, they take a cut. So like, you know, if you order directly from the restaurant, that helps the restaurant a lot. And that really opened my eyes too, just to try and order directly from uh, Asian restaurants too. Just call it in, go pick it up, you know, just just give the money directly to them. Just, I think it helps them a lot. And, and again, it wasn't meant to guilt trip. And for me too, you know, I, I can't take credit for this. My work has supported our team doing community service work 
in our community. And one of our team members had actually helped bring to light an organization I didn't know about, but I uh, feel very passionately about that I want to contribute more to, which is groceries for seniors. Uh, they're actually based in, in SF Chinatown. And basically what they do is they, they take, you know, big piles of food that are donated by either, um, food banks or, or organizations, or even like food that maybe be cl being close to going bad and they break it all down and they basically create like grocery bags or like, you know, delivery, uh, like a bag of like protein, vegetables, things like that. Uh, and they actually deliver them to Asian seniors in Chinatown that don't have uh, other support systems or don't have other ways of being able to get food. Um, that they they have either, you know, as you guys know, S, S, SF Chinatown specifically is very hilly. SF in general is very hilly. So it can be difficult for a lot of these seniors to get around and get food. And so this program helps the elderly in San Francisco. It doesn't have to be Asian, by the way. Asian and non-Asian elderly get groceries that they need. And I think that's really awesome. And I want to continue to, to volunteer there and contribute there. I just, you know, haven't had a chance to do it since the pandemic has started. Dude, that's sick. We should... Um have them on the show. <laughs> I mean, I think first when, when all this is over, we should all volunteer. I think it'd be great if we did oh, it all yeah. together. Um, actually, and then, if you then are down, them on too. if you guys are down, that's, that is actually something my parents do every Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh, yeah. They actually volunteer at like the community center in Chinatown. Yeah. And I've been trying to, I've been meaning to go with them, but I mean, it's, it's like, you know, you serve food. And I've done it when I was like a little kid. Yeah. It was cool. Almost got stuck in the elevator in Chinatown. Gary. <laughs> <laughs> It was, this was pre, pre cell phones. phones. Yeah. Yeah. We got to press that emergency button. I think really what I want to bring to light with this question is that I think there's stuff that we're already doing, whether we're aware of it or not. And I think there are things, more things that we could be doing. I don't think this is, this question wasn't meant to guilt trip and it wasn't meant to say that we're not doing enough because there's always more we could be doing. Right. And I think it's not mm -hmm. to feel shame for not what we're not doing, but I think just bringing to light the opportunities that are out there. I think there's always time. Like, like we said, time and money are sometimes more powerful than, you know, just being a keyboard warrior, right? And like, yes, like you can, you can bring to light organizations and you can promote someone's film or, or whatnot. But I, I wonder how many, for example, like I wonder how many people have posted about seeing like Minari, the new film by Steven Yuen, and how many people have actually paid to go watch it. You know what I mean? Like there are, there are two different ways that like you can A, speak out, which is one thing and that's great but also the action you take behind it the money you put in the time you put in that right. i think speaks louder and i think that, that there's more that all of us can do actually in my head now that i'm thinking about it i mean I, I know that this is just like us doing a podcast and stuff like that but is this us learning and using ourselves as like more like soundboards to think about the asian community in different perspectives i know without this podcast specifically obviously like without today's episode i would not have like thought up the answers that i've given yeah questions that we've had today so i mean personally i'm saying what we're doing here is like a little bit enlightening maybe some of our listeners might not think <laughs> the same thing but i mean i'm definitely having some you know having some thoughts mm -hmm. i, I yeah. think that absolutely i would encourage anyone listening to us first of all thank you but also just think about the think about your community right i mean we're obviously from the bay area but there are Asian communities all over the world. I think there's always something you could be doing to, to contribute, to help, you know, your time and effort. I'll take it a step further. I would challenge everybody listening to this to find ways that they can contribute to their community in a positive way. And then let us know. <laughs> Absolutely. Let, let us know what you did. How to yeah. do it so that we can, we can do it too. We're not perfect. You guys aren't perfect. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just trying to learn. <laughs> we did talk about posting on social media and things like that. And with that in mind, the last thing I want to bring up today is kind of a heavy topic. It's something that's been weighing heavy on my mind. And as we're talking about the Asian community, I want to talk about 
the violence against Asian elders in the Bay Area and across the United States. We've seen a huge uptick in attacks against Asians since the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of it being driven by the media and the perception of Asians and the coronavirus pandemic because of it, of them, which is totally untrue. And so I wanted to get your guys' take on just the violence against Asian elders in the Bay. To me, I didn't, well, I don't know where I saw that stat, but it was like the amount of hate crimes since COVID-19 started, it was like 800% or so. I don't know. I'll have to look up that stat again, but it was like a ridiculously high number. Yeah. I think that was like the like the oh shit yeah like because like you know you hear about it right but saw that stat and i was like dude that's kind that's kind of crazy and so you know and then obviously now with when it's now like with the elders elderly people i think that kind of brought like a lot of light into the whole situation it's terrible right. <laughs> on me obviously and a big part of me kind of like battles with how i feel about it because you see the people who are doing the crimes and it's like how do you how do i not stay biased because i do understand that i can get jumped by anybody at any time but then you know like obviously like the media you know shows the videos and then you're just like in your head you know i, I kind of battle with that because like how do i battle that internally i battle with it those are just my thoughts i think it's terrible i don't know how to help in that sense minus like talking about it and just trying to understand everything yeah i think to your point and one of the things that you mentioned if you look at the comments online or on social media whether it be instagram facebook youtube comments whatever there's a lot of racial hate both ways right i think that there's a lot of like comments things like again not my words just to be very clear but things like for example People are saying like, oh, Asians don't have it nearly as bad as black people. And now you finally understand. Or I've also seen Asian people say things like, uh, how come Asian lives don't matter now? Or like, why are black people doing this to us? Again, not my words, but just like, and seeing seeing that sort of rhetoric of like anti-blackness from Asians or anti-Asianness from the black community. And I, I don't think it's helpful in any way. I think yeah. that we need to stop that. And we need, and it's hard to absolutely, just because I think that there's, there's a lot of tension right now in, in the country as a whole. It's not helpful to the conversation we all just want to be heard and we all yeah. just want to recognize the pain that's happening in both communities and stand up with each other and support each other rather than, than tear each other down. I think that's what needs to happen. That's what I believe in. And I believe that the communities are trying to do it. Just not everyone's on board and we need to unify as much as we can instead of tear each other down. That's just my two cents. on Yeah. That. Yeah. I, I totally see your point. It's hard though. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. When I read this question, a lot of, a lot of that same negativity that you're describing kind of flooded into me a little bit, you know, I mean, the first couple of lines that I have here just on how to answer the question. I mean, I like, I hate it. it. It grinds my gears, you know, not to make it about me, but I've definitely, I mean, we all have been subjected to that same type of ignorance that's rooted in the same place where these violent crimes come from. I mean, shout out Hans bachelor party. <laughs> um, <laughs> Truth. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'm going to skip a lot of the negative thoughts and negative feelings that I have about just these helpless elderly people being attacked and go on to the core of what I wanted to say, which was despite these really horrible things happening, seeing the people in the community come together to stand against it gives me a lot of hope. Oh, yeah. I think I think that was something that kind of like made me feel really good seeing Mr. Fab. Exactly. Yeah, that was one of my points right here. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the same like, thing. You know, that was good. You know, and I think, yeah. you know, even other content creators outside of like, you know, they, they don't have to do that. 
they obviously don't have to do it but like the fact that they did makes yeah. me feel like really good and yeah i know like there's there's groups I, I mean i saw in the news like you know there's groups out in oakland who are doing community watches you know a couple of them get together walk around neighborhoods that have a high asian demographic you know just to look out for 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 people that might need help kind of thing and you know the people doing those watches you know so, not all of them are even asian some of them are non-asian you know sticking up just for the people that that need help and i, I think that i hope that this movement continues to gain momentum and eventually shift the way that people treat and think about Asian people in our community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the organizations you're talking about are ones like uh, Compassion in Oakland, and there's a couple other ones too, where they're, they're literally just doing grassroots organization to assist elderly, like getting from place to place. And I think that the part of this, and so my two cents on this is this, is that I'm angry, right? I mean, straight up. I'm angry that our, our elderly are being attacked, the ones that can't defend themselves. I'm angry that my dad, who's 83 years old, is afraid to walk outside of his own home. I'm mad that my mom can't walk her dog without feeling like she's going to get attacked. Like, I'm pissed that our community has to cower in fear. And I think one of the things that I feel like I take it upon myself as someone who was born in the U.S. as an American citizen to stand up and say, no, absolutely not. I have can fight for my own rights here because I am an American citizen. I'm born and I'm an American, straight up, right? Uh, Hassan Minaj does a really great segment on that in a stand-up where he's like, that's just the, the racism tax. That's the immigrant tax we pay. But for us, it's like, hell no. That's what we, we grew up here. We have deserved the right to be the voice of the people and the community that feels like they can't say anything. And especially the Asian community where we're taught, don't say anything, keep your head down, follow the rules and, and don't get in trouble, right? I mean, not to say that we need to cause trouble, but for us, we need to definitely create noise, right? And to bring it back right back to the theme of the podcast, that's the bad Asian way. You know, you don't, you don't speak up. You don't, you don't say your mind. You don't cause trouble. But in this case, we are causing trouble. We are being the voice of our community. And I want us to do that. And so these definitely attacks are horrible. And they obviously make me upset. But I think it also spurs me to want to say even more. And so whether that's using my platform on social media, whether that's using this platform in of itself to bring awareness, or like you said, donating money or anything, I think that's where I think we can start. So with that in mind, what I want to say, lastly, to our, to our listeners and whatnot, if you hear about this stuff, report it, right? Right? I think use stopaapihate.org and you can report any anti-Asian uh, or a racist incidents and, and upload it there and that'll help make sure that there's action taken. Um, if you feel like helpless, just like the three of us do, I think just like bring awareness to it, right? I think that's the biggest thing right now is that not everyone knows that this is happening. So talk about it, Be, uh, you know, let people know, say your feelings about it and, and let the people know what's going on so that we can continue to, to protect the people around us and also stop this anti-Asian rhetoric. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of, I'd want to add on that, just the fact that, you know, learn. I think when the whole BLM protests were happening and I'm not going to lie to you. So I'm pretty naive. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really understand the entire movement. I mean, I understand what was happening and why it was happening, but my depth of knowledge was pretty shallow. And what I, you know, what I did do is just like talk to a lot of my friends and just like learn about the situation just to get like a better understanding, like why it was happening and why there was so much pent up frustration. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, Absolutely. Like, you know, e even me, you, you can reach out to me. I don't know if I'm, I would be a good, or you can reach out to any of us to be honest, but yeah. I'm not going to say that I know everything, even though I say I'm perfect, but <laughs> in reality, I have very much as much to learn even about this entire situation and I guess my feelings as well um or just like being able to like be more educated so I mean that, that's like the one thing that helps me understand the Black Lives Matter yeah so I think we're, we're would you say that we, we'd ask all of our listeners just to learn and just to listen to to the voices and the community just because we're trying to put it out there yeah or educate us yeah or educate us absolutely obviously that's a heavy topic and I don't want to end there I think ending on a more positive hopeful note 
what should we be doing to support the community at this time? Like, what, what, do you, what would you encourage our listeners to do? I can start. My, my biggest thing is I, I kind of said it already, but just bring awareness, you know, like talk about it. Talk about it with your friends, talk about it with your family. I know it's hard to do and it's it's a tough thing to do, but that's what I'm asking, I think all of us to do is to, to touch, talk about what's going on in the world. And then other than that, for your other social circles, just post it on social media, like take the time to, you know, do the research, see who's talking about it and put posts out there and, you know, t- tell people what's going on. I've had people personally reach out to me after I posted some stories on Instagram, like, hey, I know this is going on because it's not being talked about in the media, in the, in the mainstream media. And so there are grassroots ways of being able to get the information out there. Yeah. My advice, in all honesty, learn, educate yourself, start that conversation, you know, even if it with close friends. The other thing that I did was I just reached out to like other content creators that, that I liked and I just dropped them like a DM. It was like, hey, I don't know if you know, but this is happening. One of them was like Philip DeFranco. You yeah. know, I don't think he, he made it because of me unless he did. But, you know, <laughs> just getting like the visibility out there, like, hey, this is what's happening in the world. Even if it was just starting that dialogue, right? That's, I guess, one thing that I did. I believe sliding into their DMs <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, is, the, is the term. We, we, that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Han and Dougie both talked a lot about taking it upon oneself to learn more about the situation and about other people and about things that are happening in in society right now. And I think for someone like me, that's a tall order, right? What my last message would be to our listeners is if that seems like a tall order to you too, take a step back and just start with admitting that you don't know everything. Mm. Start with admitting you know, to yourself or helping your friends admit who seem to be so self-righteous, right? That, hey, like maybe you don't know the whole situation or there is something more to learn about the situation. Like, do you really know 100% about, you know, what the movement behind, you know, something like Black Lives Matter is or or why, you know, um, why specifically Asians are being targeted right now? Like, do you know why that, that ignorance and that hatred is there kind of thing? And I think that admitting to yourself or having someone else completely admit to themselves that, hey, maybe they don't have all the answers or that they, they don't know can drive the educating, you know, that follows that, that Hannah and Doug have so eloquently put <laughs> in the beginning of, of, uh, of this segment. And again, I just want to thank you guys both so much for just like sharing your experiences. And, and I hope our listeners too can take something away from this, whether you grew up in an Asian bubble or not, uh, but learning to embrace who you are, contribute to your community and just learn more about the movement. So thank you guys. Uh, I'm going to wrap this episode up with our favorite segment, the rapid fire. Today's theme, because we talked about it already, is going to be Asian food questions. So that's the theme of the rapid fire. So I'm going to ask Doug, you answer first and then you yin. All right, boba order. Are you going classic milk tea or are you going fruit tea? Fruit tea. Happy lemon. Uh, Forever. <laughs> I've actually recently come to <laughs> come to love fresh milk. So oh. that, that's my thing now. Fresh milk? I guess yeah. it's either, but it's just fresh milk and boba. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah, fruit I'll tea. make that my, for you. My, my lactose intolerance as I'm getting older is getting real bad, so I got. <laughs> honestly, you just have to just keep drinking milk, and it'll get better. Or lactate, or lactate. No, just keep drinking milk. Lactate is weird, man. No, to, the, look, Tom Brady doesn't drink doesn't drink milk, and he has seven rings. So, okay, well, you can't argue. He's also with a, I think he's a vegan. Anyways, we should. Just <laughs> <laughs> Three choices to this question: all you can eat. Sushi, Korean barbecue, or hot pot? Uh, I'm kind of torn between Korean barbecue and hot pot, but you gotta choose rapid fire, man. Hot pot. Hot there pot. you go. There you sure. go. Korean barbecue for me. I'm gonna. Go, I'm gonna say I gotta stick with my Korean roots. I gotta go Korean barbecue. <laughs> down, hands down. Also, if all you can eat like sushi is it's kind of gross. Yeah, I mean, all yeah. You can eat sushi is one of those. Yeah, it's so like true. it's like you, like it just the quality is so bad. <laughs> it's always yeah, just it's it like it like sounds good. But then yeah. when you actually start eating it, you're like, why, why, why? <laughs> yeah. You just like 
too much rice. Yeah. All right. Anyways, keep going. All right. Choice of carbs, noodles or rice? Noodles. Rice. Oh, sh- I'm going to go noodles also. That was tough, though. Oh, like, you like rice? I put that shit on everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, screw Frank's Dude, hot sauce, man. It's all about rice. Rice and gravy? Rice Any and gravy? gravy? So good. Yeah. Rice rice in soup. Okay, also, I didn't realize rice in soup is, is a very Korean thing. I didn't realize that not other Asians do that. Do you put your rice in your soup? I did it when I was a kid, and then yeah. when I got older, I stopped doing it. Like I'm talking like a full jambalaya. bowl of rice. What? No, no, no. <laughs> Nah, Is it jumble <laughs> I mean, at some point, it's just going to become juk, right? Because <laughs> it's it too soggy. No, but dude, so many Korean soups, you just you just straight dump your rice in. Like they give it to you separate, oh. but you dump your your rice in your soup. Yeah. Like there's a ton of soups like that. But I, I didn't realize that was a, a very Korean thing. Anyway, I digress. Speaking of which, uh, utensils. Do you are you guys going metal chopsticks or wood chopsticks? Ivory. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yo, that's not sustainable at all. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, probably would. Yeah, I kind of don't like the idea of grip at all. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's because I'm Korean, but I got to go metal chopsticks. Uh, I just but I actually use plastic at home. Yeah, I'll, dude, come on, man. Oh, oh, oh no, 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 like, no. Like, oh, like the thick plastic chopsticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah in the faux restaurants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's plastic. I just really, yeah, I just realized those aren't those all technically wood. Like or a bamboo or some sort of synthetic like it's not uh, plastic. Well, I don't know. Synthetic ivory. Synthetic ivory. Oh, in the fud restaurants. Oh, my fault. I yeah. was thinking about takeout. Oh yeah, no, that's weird, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, and last one for drinks: sake, soju, or baiju. Or baiju. I'm just saying baiju because I don't even know what that is. It's a it, no. It's like the Chinese liquor. Like, have you ever had, have you ever had like Mao Tai? Oh yeah. Mao Tai is a brand, but what type of alcohol it is it's oh i didn't know that yeah i actually never had mountai though it's straight rubbing alcohol bro (laughs) but i would still choose it you still choose it you still stick it with baijiu okay i think i'm gonna go sake personally oh okay and i'm going soju okay so we have one of each there you go that's the first time (laughs) i like it that was the slowest rapid fire i know but we had so many comments that's the end of the episode thank you guys again for listening this was asian enough sign enough adios bye Reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at 3AD Podcast. We know how precious time is these days, so we want to thank you for spending some of your time with us. As you go on into tomorrow, go on unapologetically, go on as a positive force, and most importantly, go on with your bad self.